0: Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie and I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing <laughs> the Folk of the Air books one and two. That is The Cruel Prince and The Wicked King or, you know, the books where the fae Prince is 19 and kind of a dumbass and dresses really well <laughs> and has a tail. Oh my God, his tail.
1: I'm, I'm not completely thrown off by it anymore. Now that I've done a reread, I know I'm this is going to be fun. I can appreciate it more and we'll dive in. Before we get started, I know I told you this yesterday. So I went food shopping and I can't get that everywhere I go song by Hollywood Undead, Cassian's karaoke song, is drunk karaoke song out of my head. And I'm like listening to it. Oh, and mind you, I'm singing this like openly in the grocery store for whoever cares or is listening. And I'm thinking, so does this mean Cassian's a boob guy? I have to assume, which if you think about in Wings and Ember, they talk about like how full Nesta's boobs are or whatever for being like her her boobs are so big on her tiny frame or whatever. Then would Az be an ass guy or is he like appreciating all forms of a female and is Reese the butt guy? I really I really have this question. I know it's not cruel friends related, but I need it well, but we've recorded all of our episodes so far for Akitar, and now I'm wondering.
0: These are deep thoughts for the grocery store.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think it was because I was by the whipped cream, and then that probably triggered the lyrics of like where he talks about filling the cups with whipped cream or something. But now oh god, now I just realized that's not what he meant.
0: No, that's <laughs> not what he meant. <laughs> Strong start, strong start. (laughs) I would say that Az appreciates all form and sees beauty in all things. And Reese, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But Cass is definitely a boob guy. (laughs) Well, what what did we deem Cass? We deemed him uh, fratty batty Cassie. Yeah, we have batty daddy Azzy, and we could have like fratty daddy or
1: fratty batty Cassie. Yeah, or we could. That could be interchangeable. So like,
0: batty fratty casting is good. It's good.
1: Okay, I digress. Ooh. We can go back into the tail shit of
0: everything. Uh, the tail. So I think we should Not start the- off. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was
1: going to say I don't know if that's the start off point.
0: So no, I think we should start off by saying very clear that the folk of the air was Jessica's read directly after Akatar. Yeah. Right? Like, you read Akatar, and then you needed something in the fantasy realm still. Yes. It's my first fantasy that
1: it came off of Akatar. I read The Hating Game because I needed some contemporary romance to not be so heavy. And then I was like, but... And then that didn't... I liked it, but I was like, I need more. And so that's when Laura said, like, here's a good fantasy transitional read for you. Because I what I hadn't I wasn't going to go right into Crescent City, but I still wanted to be part of the fantasy world. And she's like, This is a good transition. Which, yes, I think if you're coming off of that heavy Sarah J. Mass book hangover, Holly Black is the way to go. At least this specific series. I haven't read any of her other stuff yet.
0: And then, of course, I love this series. This is my, I think, favorite. Really? Yeah, like Fae fantasy series. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love the world, I guess, if I'm being really specific. I love the world of Elfame. I love the world that Holly Black created. I like it so much more than any of the worlds that Sarah J. Mass has created. It's just very vivid and very real to me. Like, I, I see it.
1: I also think that there's a lot of realism in here, which maybe helps with that visualization because they're on that island. You know, Alfheim is off the coast of Maine, but they can still, you know, like, oh, let's let's go to the mall and go to Target for the day. And it reminds me of, you know, when you have, you know, when you if you didn't have a a huge mall near your house, you're like, oh, that that was a Saturday day trip. You'd spent the whole day at the mall. They went to Starbucks. They go to Target. Like, it's it's a nice little all-day affair. You know, oh, they'd have to run to CVS because then you have to remember Jude and Taryn are human, so they get their periods. So they need to do at least a monthly run.
0: That's a good jumping off point. So obviously, we know that this series is about Jude. It's about Cardin and Taryn and Maddox and... All the shenanigans that happen in Elfheim. And as you said, going to Target and getting tampons. Um, Jude and Taryn are the only humans besides the former High King shell. I can't remember his name. With the sticks in his beard. Besides him. They're the only humans that are in Elfheim. So that is very significant. And I think I'll just say it off the bat. I have read this a few times but with Audible. So I love the narrator of these books. She's really strong. And the way that she says certain things and her like tone and inflection on certain things really kind of pinpoints the differences in the folk and the humans, because this is told through Jude's perspective. So I just love it. I, I really love it. I think it's really special. And I can't imagine another narrator Doing these books. And I've also read these books in print, but I read them in her voice. So obviously she's doing a good job. I like,
1: and this is a testament to Holly Black's writing that it's not this overtly in your face. These are Judas and Taryn are humans, and here's the folk, and this is what they are. They're so subtly integrated that I know you've talked we've talked about like the chamber pots or when Jude was just, like, happy to smell her sweat as opposed to pine needles and earthy scents all the time when it came to perspiring. She was just – it's the little nuances in the words that she uses. And I think – and maybe this could be said with just audiobooks in general – you don't have that opportunity to skim over. You have to hear everything.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, you do. And I I know that one of my faults as a reader is I tend to skim battle scenes. I, I just like, eh, you know, whatever. But when you're listening to them, you don't have a choice. So that's a really good point. Jude and Taryn. Taryn sucks. Just up front. Taryn sucks. But Jude, as we said, is very human. And her experience of fairy is very specific to her not feeling like she belongs, right? Like she is always aware that she is different from the folk. And that is in Holly Black's writing. Like you said, the folk are terrible and they're beautiful and they're all gorgeous. They're all tall. She says a lot of times that they, they don't have curves. They don't have hips. And that's really what sets Taryn and Jude apart. They have to be really conscious of body odor. They have to brush their teeth. They squat over chamber pots. And that makes them feel, I'm going to say, lesser. Because that's mm. kind of the the thread that kind of binds all these books together is Jude. The power. Yeah, like powerless. Jude feeling completely powerless. And it, it's represented in all of these little things that she has to do that the folk don't have to do.
1: You know that, you know, they're they're young adults. They're in high school. We assume is high school They're you know, and she makes it a point to do well in school because Jude says it means I can belong whether they like it or not. And I think that's just like the And that's in, that's the jumping off point in The Cruel Prince. She's like, you know what? They bully her. They harass her. They assault her. All you know, there's physical violence involved. There's a lot of the folk are not kind. To Jude specifically, not so much Taryn, like, yeah, they're a package deal, but Jude is more vocal. And she even says it in The in the Wicked King. She's like, I forgot that one of my traits is, like, really knowing how to piss these people off. But she's like, but you can't, if you're doing well in school, it's facts. Like, you can't take that away from me. And I think it's also, I think it's an interesting, I was thinking about this during the reread, where... It's like when people are getting their citizenship, they know, at least I, I don't know how citizenships work in other countries, but with the U.S., if you're born here, you're born here, you're a citizen. But the tests that people go through to get their citizenship, the information that they have to know and understand there's no way I would be able to pass my own citizenship test. And I think that's in a way that's kind of how she's seeing it as like, you can't deny me this, but from the beginning, she's just saying like, I'm tired of feeling powerless, which goes into Dane offering power to Jude. She's like, I want power so badly that this is an opportunity for it. And it's just like you said, it's a continual thread throughout the series and throughout the relationships that she's making, and choices that she's doing throughout the series,
0: and she's also—I'm talking about Jude specifically. She trains with Matic She learns swordplay. She does the violent aspect of of fairy, where Taryn does the the like social manipulations of fairy. So you know, Taryn, uh, she has this whole subplot i fucking hate her she's a piece. Of, you
1: know what she's like and not that i don't like sam and dean but dean is such a good brother to sam and that's how i feel jude is such a good sister to Taryn, up to a certain point because she's had she's done with her bullshit and even when she's done flash forward to the queen of nothing in the beginning she's still there for
0: her sister despite Taryn being a piece of shit well and Taryn only comes to Jude when she wants something or needs something which is so shitty she only brings Jude all of her stuffed animals and and offers her clothes from home and design her clothes because she doesn't want Locke to be made uh Lord of the Revels because he'll be off doing a bunch of crazy shit and he won't be home with her like you
1: made your bed now lie in it what were you expecting from this guy when you married him you already knew that he was a piece of shit when he's like I'm gonna seduce your sister and you're gonna watch me do it you're As gonna a test watch
0: of love that, that's It's <gasps> <That's> not <sighs> love
1: he's just wants entertainment and he says it the whole he says it if i don't have a good enough story i make one you're that bored in your life that... but you know what that's kind of a testament to a lot of people who bully and harass and gossip and they're so unhappy with their lives that they have to kind of try to be a puppeteer in others that's
0: you know And I think that's a good way to kind of talk a little bit more about the folk. So the folk are immortal. We know this. It's said over and over and over again. And Valerian specifically, who's one of the bullies that really kind of digs it on Jude. Valerian tells her, like, you are a different species than I am. You and I are nothing alike. You are born to die. You have a mayfly life. Everything that you do is completely pointless. So why shouldn't I just murder you? Because I'd be doing you a favor because you're going to die anyway. That is really important. So the folk, I mean, even some of the nicer ones, like even even Matic, I say nicer, (laughs) even Matic, they're apart from each other. So it's like humans and then it's folk and there isn't any in between. And the folk need the humans because as is, you know, It must be in the, the like lore and stuff. Fairy blood is thin. So they would die out if they didn't breed with humans. So like humans are necessary, but not looked upon with any sort of respect.
1: Which also, I I know, I mean, I, I sent you a video, then I turned it into a TikTok or whatever. But Jude, as you read the series, and really just like a lot of the female protagonist in these books. She bests them time and time again. And I think of Jude and and the cool prince where she's like, I do not yearn to be their equal. I yearn to best them. And I love that mentality. She's like, I'm not, I'm going to be better than you. And she is time and time again. And even in the Wicked King, again, she's mortal. She's a human. And she Fucking kills belkin right and then before that she's a human and she kills valerian and i just think there's so much hypocrisy from valerian he's like he's taunting her he harasses her he assaults her he's literally in her bedroom to kill jude and then jude defends herself and then he's like i curse you i curse you three times over or whatever it was like You got mad that somebody played your game better. It's like this hedge fund thing where somebody played your own game. They did it better than you. And now you're pissed. And you have the audacity. You have the audacity to get mad. Are you serious? I love Jude. She's a powerful,
0: badass human. We should all... I I love (laughs) these protagonist women. I love them. We love Jude. And I I saw a TikTok earlier... That said, you know, no one really talks about Carden and his mommy issues because oh. he has major mommy issues. And daddy issues. He has and parental issues. issues. yeah. But Carden's mom has like little horns. And then Jude's whole iconic look is horns. horns. And she did that without yeah. knowing. Yeah. I just love them. I will say I love Jude and Carden specifically their are Maybe like my top three literature couples of all time. I love them. I love Carden. We haven't even really talked about Carden. I love Carden. We're world building. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're world building. <laughs> Carden's like a nineteen-year-old dumbass fae prince who's mean and sexy, and they say he has like cheekbones that could what cut the hearts out of out of girls, and like hair that's iridescent and black and just hot.
1: Oh, I can't wait to go through the the TikToks you've sent me from the past because they have some good Cardin TikToks. Oh, just definitely. like what, like just his vibe. Mm-hmm. I love all the ones where he, his, he has the charcoal eyeliner. He's very, I don't know. He's, I, I can see it. He's not my type, but I
0: love them together. And he's drunk all the time. And if he's not drunk, then he's on drugs. And we we love this. I That's another reason.
1: Do you think Dorian and Cardin would have totally raged at some sort of rubble at some point?
0: Oh, definitely. That would be fun. They would get white girl wasted. Yes! Of, of course they would. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. You know, just... I'm just racking up all these dark-haired, damaged book boyfriends. Laura has a type, guys.
1: If you haven't picked up, Laura has a type.
0: (laughs) I also really like that Jude always comments on what Carden is wearing, and she's always like, "He's wearing ridiculous clothes," and and um, you know, he he's got, or he notices, she notices his silver tip boots at the coronation. Or his crown that he wears at an angle, all these things. It's like, girl, if you didn't love this man, how are you
1: noticing every little thing?
0: Why are you paying so much attention to him? Like, mm. and um, since we were talking about Valerian, Valerian to Jude talks about humans say that falling in love and being afraid is exactly the same like your heart beats and you have just like all these uncontrollable feelings and then we see that repeated later on where they where Jude and Cardin are uh having sexy time I didn't know this till your notes
1: and this is just showing you where I was in my high school experience I really thought they were just like heavily making out they were naked I was like, I'm in such, well, you know, the, the reread, I was like, it's all there. Like, they, she's literally, I just thought they were being handsy, not, like, that was it. Heavy making out and handsy. And I, I I'd apologize because that was me in high school. Like, the poor guys. I don't know how they had patience for me. Like, hours into making out. I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm also like, I was 14, 15. I'm not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Well that was me. No no hating on anybody who is doing those choices at fourteen or fifteen. But <laughs> oh man, the patience. So like good for them that <laughs> they did. I had no but you know, we're what was it? They he's he's that the heavy the heavier scene
0: and the wicked king. It's
1: all there. It's
0: all there. <laughs> yeah they're naked they're they're peeling off each other's clothes it's not spelled out for us exactly what they did but we know they didn't have like penetrative sex no with, they, with they it was like one of those
1: like everything but
0: yeah because they have you know sex later on but there's a part where cardin is running his hand up jude's thigh and he looks at her and he's like jude are you afraid of me because, right. like, her heart's racing and her face is flushed and she's, like, sweating a little bit. And it's just a very nice, like, circle moment.
1: But I think it also goes in – I I don't want to say it also goes into – but I feel like that scene specifically, he's, like, tell me what you told me at the Revel, that you hate me. And you're just, like, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you so much that sometimes I I can't think of anything else. And Cardin goes feral. And so I'm, like, does he have a hate kink? This is totally tied in with, like, his parental issues – because that's all he knows like which is also kind of sad that it's you know to each their own with their own kinks should you have those but to know that it it stems so much deeper you know his dad hated him so he's living with his brother as you learn during different flashbacks in Queen and Nothing and or in, or in like within the acorn things you know that he was kind of dismissed as a kid he kind of like was given a free-for-all because his mom, Queen Asha—Asha's her name? Yeah. Lady Asha. Lady Asha. She kind of let him run amok, did not discipline him, so he kind of just spiraled into being worse. And then you even hear him say that. He's like, if if people are going to th- think I'm bad, then I was going to be worse than that. Like, he just—he leveled up everything, and I just kind of— that poor boy.
0: And Jude is, like, in love with this kid, unbeknownst to her— and he was uh, suckled on cat's milk. Uh, his mom couldn't be bothered. So not only was he, you know, completely pushed out of the court, he, you know, was fed on scraps from the table, suckled on cat's milk, and then he had to go live with his brother who, as we see in, in these two books, beat the shit out of him over and over and over again. and. I really like that. So that's when Jude goes to Hollow Hall and she's spying for Prince Dane and she finds the Alice in Wonderland book with her name on it. We love that. The narrator goes so hard during the reading. Yeah. She's like doo do doo doo It's it's really good. Um but then Jude watches Bailkin beat the shit out of Cardin and Cardin doesn't I mean he ends up fighting back eventually, but he says, like, I'm not a murderer. I'm, he's a shitty swordsman. I'm not a murderer, which is really interesting because Jude is such a murderer. So it's like the two of them together. It's, I don't know. It's good. It's good. I just, I really love them. I love them together.
1: It, um, it reminds me of, you know, in 10 Things I Hate About You, Kat's dynamic with, Heath Ledger's character, and she's like, But most of all, I hate you. I hate, or like, she has her speech in class. She's like, I hate that I can't hate you. And it reminds me of when Cardin says, I hate you because I think of you often, and it's disgusting, and I can't stop.
0: And I'm like, Oh,
1: <laughs> shouldn't be awing at the toxicity of this.
0: Well, and it is a little bit toxic, and that is kind of a criticism of, of this whole series, The Focal of the Air, but specifically. There are, I mean, toxic parental relationships. There are a lot of those really bad ones. Of course, Matic, as we know, murders Jude's mom and dad right in front of them and then kidnaps her and her two sisters and drags them back to Fairy and then raises them as best he can with honor. But he's, you know, he's a red cap. He's a murderer. So, he, you know, it is what it is. But also the whole hating thing, you know. People really complain about it. But I just think that you can't hold some of these characters to, and we've said this before, to like modern day standards, because half of the characters here, more than half, aren't human. And that is reinforced a lot in these books. And it's in reinforced in ways that are different from Sarah J. Mass. So Sarah J. Mass has like two instances where she uh, talks about like Rowan isn't human and Aelin doesn't want him to be human and like those Faye and Sarah J. Mass's world have like one foot in the forest. But here in Holly Black's world, it is very, very clear that these people are not human and you can't hold them to the same standards. So Jude says like she goes to revels and they're like fucking on tables and stuff. And like people are (laughs) naked and people are green. And there's, you know, tree sprites and women made of bark and hags with feet backwards
1: so do you think that part of the criticism isn't necessarily, it's not about not acknowledging that this is a different, you know, the fey world, Elfheim has different societal expectations from a fey perspective? Yes. So do you, would you say that the criticism is coming from, I understand that. However, there is this exposure to a young person who might not be as well, like this might be what they're trying to model future relationships out of. Like us as adults, we can separate it, but when you're still developing certain psyches and just like world, like things you think about within the world, do you think that's where the criticism is coming from? Because you don't want this negativity of the dynamic in these relationships to shape what, people expect future relationships to be from
0: maybe but i think if you're going to make that kind of criticism it would be more constructive in contemporary ya fiction where it's like a real life situation with humans in the real world Mm -hmm. and it's more relatable i think this one where you can take a step back and say like yes it's fantasy yes these toxic things might occur but and like you said like we're adults we can do that easily can children I don't, I don't know but also you know Jude's like 17, yeah. Cardin's 19, you know they're immortal. I just think that if you're going to criticize these books there's other things to criticize than these relationships between people who are and aren't human. And you know that that's just my opinion but you know people also say these books are really boring. <laughs>
1: So the first book, I was like, okay. The second book, I was like, there we go, we're picking up. Obviously loved Queen of Nothing. So I can see where that argument comes from, especially as somebody who is new to the fantasy genre. But I loved having the reread because after Queen of Nothing, like there was, you know, we've been you've been showing me fan art and TikToks and memes, and there's that there's that there's this awesome Facebook group that is just All the folk of the air all the time. So I think it's great if people are sharing things. There's I feel like there's more conversation there than on TikTok regarding the folk of the air. But I think having that excitement to the characters after reading it has made for a more fun experience during the reread. And obviously picking up on different things or forgetting certain things happened. Like you have a gist of the story. But this was only my second time reading it. And like, oh, my gosh, that is the specific detail that led to the bigger thing. And I had forgot, you know, just like um, when one of the members of the Court of Shadows, I couldn't remember who it was. Like, I knew it wasn't the bomb, but I couldn't remember if it was the roach or the ghost.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really good. So, yeah, I mean, I can see why people would say it's boring. I personally don't find that. I love political, like machinations and everything behind the scenes like I I love that shit I live for um, political like scheming but I guess if we're gonna go back to toxicity the only thing that would really stick out to me is Cardin being in love with Jude and being mean to her Mm -hmm. anyway which kind of you know does the stereotype of like oh well the boy's pulling your pigtails that means he likes you but if we're gonna go a little bit deeper to that Carden was protecting Jude without her realizing it this whole series. And I have some examples. So, like, he pulls Valerian off of her one time. He almost goes in to get her out of the river when the Nixies are going to attack her. But Jude gets herself out. When Valerian at all, that's all of them, shoves the ever apple in her mouth, Carden says, like, this is a really bad idea. We should just, like, not do this. And then he pricks her finger so that she can suck on her blood, which has salt, which gets rid of the ever apple. When he's yelling at Taryn. Yeah. When he yells at Taryn and tells her to like stop all the fuckery with Locke because you're ruining Jude's life. And also when Cardin told Jude to leave the milkwood during the revel because he knew that Locke was going to do something horrible to her. And as we know, he made her the Queen of Mirth, which was awful just awful
1: and she tries to blame him she's like i hate you like when they're like dancing she's like i hate you i hate you but like not in the not in their hookup scene way but like in there she's like this is this is awful
0: it's because she's so humiliated by it which fair you know she And that that was the whole joke of it. When humans are the queen of mirth, they're glamored, so they don't realize they're wearing rags and, you know, like a mushroom, stinky mushroom crown. But she has the gesh, so she just can't be glamored. So she's living
1: through this humiliation, acting like it doesn't bother her.
0: Yeah, and that sucks. That sucks. And I always feel so bad for her during that scene. But then the undersea comes. And I, when I was rereading this, I just kept thinking, like, Good God, the undersea seems like just a horrifying place just so bad like not it's not very atlantica (laughs) yeah there's nothing there that's redeemable except you know like maybe the food uh, you know coming from someone that loves seafood you know and i was just thinking when she was talking about like the pieces
1: of she's like oh and these like fresh pink slices of tuna i was like oh but i would go for some
0: sushi right now she's like i didn't expect to like them it's like
1: oh they're so good though so good
0: But um, the whole the whole undersea, I'm going to call it like a torture scene because that's what it is, more or less like they're torturing Jude for two, no, a month. Is it a month? I'm pretty. It's a month. It was a month. Yeah, it was a
1: month. It was like a month and a couple of days because she's like, I'm officially past the six month mark. I have less than a year.
0: Right. So she's starved. They forget to feed her. They forget to give her water. She has to. And this is the really just exhausting part. Orla and Nakeja and Belkin don't realize that Jude has the Gesh, which prevents her from being controlled. So she, so Jude has to do everything that these people tell her to do and just lie. Just to fake it. And, and just fake it for so long. And that is a kind of torture that they don't even realize they're doing to her. Because they think that she doesn't remember any of it and, and all of that. So it's like the the physical torture on top of mental torture.
1: It reminds me of, and I know this is just like threaded throughout the whole series, but in The Cruel Prince in book one, Taryn, she says, and I feel like for some people it's a throwaway line, but she's like, they're going to kill you just because she's so mouthy. And Jude goes, well, they better because anything less than that isn't going to work. And that is, is a staple throughout the whole thing because to go back to how you love political dramas of like of a court, it's ingrained throughout every choice that she makes. And I really, really like that because there's, there's a
0: cunningness to it. You, you know, it's very chess and not checkers. And that is all due to Maddox and Maddox really taking Jude under his wing and, you know, teaching her not only the swordplay, but also strategy that is... Well, he has the board in his office. Mm-hmm. The intro of
1: the Wicked King is a flashback to when her and Taryn were kids. And they were pay- they're basically playing capture the hill. But then, like, war talk and Maddox saying, like, well, we get power by taking it. And power is easier to acquire than to hold on to. It sets it up for... No matter where you are in the book, like those two, reading it a second time, this whole thing is quotable, and I, I I love it. I love it because they're very applicable to. I mean, I guess it they're they're applicable to certain people. They're applicable to me. I love this shit. Like this is great. I, that might not be for everybody. I mean, re-reading this, I'm definitely a Ravenclaw with. Slytherin as a secondary house. It's like when when we're choosing. Remember midnight, and you had like your first choice house and your second
0: choice. Like Slytherin would have been my second choice. Ravenclaw definitely would have been my second choice. So like we're we we're we're, yeah. <laughs> Another thing that is repeated a lot in this series is the mantras that Jude says and repeats to herself over and over and over and over again. And we know Sarah J. Mass is the same thing with her characters, but in these jude remembers and the narrator does a really good job of saying these things in Maddox's voice. So like you're no killer. That is the first book what is repeated over and over and over again. And then the, the in the second book it's um you must be strong enough to strike and strike again without tiring. The first lesson is to make yourself that strong, which I love. I love that. I love that I can hear it in Maddox's voice. I also looked up some fan art of Maddox and Oriana and Oak and Vivi and Heather because I feel like I never got, I don't know, as you said, the whole book is very quotable and there's so much. It's not that there's a lot going on, but there's a lot being described. Do you know what I mean?
1: I know they described him as green, but
0: I don't imagine Maddox as the burger king, king. no Maddox can't be the burger king king I just,
1: he's just my
0: staple king now for everything no madoc's green he's i know green.
1: But, okay but that's just okay i get that i totally i'm not denying it but you know sometimes when you're reading just because an author describes something as someone as something i'm like that's cool I'm still going to picture it as this anyway. Oh, now I'm going to look up fan
0: art. Yeah, so there's a a Folk of the Air wiki that has kind of the official, unofficial fan art for all the characters, Uh and that's what I went to. and It was really good because I never had a clear picture of what Vivi looked like, Uh but now I do, and it's really good. She's really hot. Heather's really hot. And specifically what I went looking for was I I went looking for Oriana because I... Wasn't exactly sure where the pink was on her. I know it's um like her ears and like her eyes and in certain areas, but I really loved reading the descriptions of Oriana and Oak, especially the first time I read this, I wasn't a huge fan of Oak. I thought it was pretty annoying. Oh, I think he's cute. Yeah. The, the second time I was like, okay, he's a kid. I really just need to, he he's a regular kid too, is what they kind of say over and over again. Um, he's not like a typical mischievous fairy kid. He's just like a regular kid. And I like he's got little horns.
1: I like his relationship with his sisters because Oriana, yeah, Oriana, we know in the story how that unfolds where Oak isn't her biological son, but she raises him as his own. But it also says a lot about Jude, Taryn, and Vivi, where she does where they're not her biological daughters. And she, treats them as such you know she does not treat them as if they are her own but she treats oak as if he is her own biologically and i think it's it's just a testament to oriana's character like she's all about she she was a court she was like a courtier courtesan before informal or formal i don't remember i don't i didn't pay that much attention but i think oak just loves his sisters and that's why I like Jude snapping at her to be like, why do you always think that? Why don't you trust me with my brother? Because at the end of the day, like they all consider, you know, I have my half siblings technically, but I've never like, oh, this is my half sister. This is my half brother. Like these are these are my siblings. You know, these are my brother and my sister. And that's how Jude and everybody look at Oak and Oak looks at them. But Oriana doesn't. It's just a weird family dynamic, you know? And he's just like, I miss you. Like, I'm so glad to see you. Like when you're in The Wicked King, like he's like, I've only seen you twice out of five months. Like, can I come home? I want to see you. I miss everybody. And he's living with Vivi and Heather.
0: Well, and we know that one of the more frightening things in The Cruel Prince, there's a lot of frightening things kind of upfront, but the more subtle, scary things is this really flashback small moment between jude and oak where oak accidentally because he didn't he didn't know any better um, right like glamored and compelled jude to slap herself over and over and over again until her face was red and like bruised and she was like crying and upset and oriana found her and the fact that Jude never took like revenge about that is one of the reasons why Oriana is so hesitant about Jude and Oak being together is because she's waiting for Jude to take her revenge, which. But on, that's uh, like a fae thing. That's yeah, but, right. yeah, like on the surface, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But then remember, they're being raised in like Maddox household, where in that environment, that would make sense that's how Matic goes and it's also kind of a matter of honor it's mentioned that Matic is you know a man of honor he's raising these daughters that were not his but he's bound by them because they were his wife's children so he he has to do these things he does it out of honor so it's just it's just one of those like little scary moments that is kind of throwaway when you're reading it for the first time but when you really think about it like shit that's terrifying I want to talk about one of my favorite moments in, in the series, but in The Wicked King specifically. And that is when Cardin is poisoned and Jude goes out to fight Balkin.
1: Wait, is it when he says, oh, no, you said Balkin"? Because I just like when he's poisoned and he goes, sweet Jude, you are my dearest punishment. Oh.
0: <laughs> it, uh, so what is it like if you are the cause, you can't be the remedy? It's something along those lines. No, this is this is after. This is when Taryn comes in oh, dressed yes. as Jude mm-hmm. and Taryn is wearing the earrings that Jude was going to give her for her wedding present. Right like, that Grimson had made. And the earrings like make you yeah. the
1: most beautiful person in the room or something.
0: Right. And Cardin doesn't recognize that it's Taryn because to him, Jude is the most beautiful person in the world. Of course, we know they're twins and it is said earlier on that Taryn was able to get into Jude's room. She just asked for a key and everybody thought it was Jude. So we know that the twins are able to switch places And, of course, that's a setup for later. But in this specific situation and after, Carden is so vulnerable and he's just sitting there on the couch and Jude comes in. and He's like, you know, you're in different clothes. What happened? And Jude's like, shit, what happened? Like, what did you do? And Carden is like, you know, it must have been Taryn. She came in. She was wearing these weird earrings and she said that Maddox is going to take the fucking army and I let her do it because I trust you and I thought it was her and I wanted to prove to you that you can trust me. And, and he like puts his head in his hands and it's just a very sweet moment. And you get to see the vulnerable side of Carter in which we don't get to see that often.
1: And I like that he makes it a point, like, it's not just, I wanted you to know I trust you, but it was a, he made it a point to be like, you didn't have to command me to trust you. Because right now, at this point, in that moment, she still has the command over him. So he was trying to do this gesture. Does Tara know about the power of these earrings, or was she just wearing them because Locke said he gave them to her?
0: It is never specifically mentioned that she knows what the earrings do. Okay, So, yeah. Uh, but when,
1: when the earrings were described, she knew, she was like, oh my God, like that. But she still hasn't, Jude, she isn't Jude, hasn't connected that Cardin thinks she's the most
0: beautiful person. No, no, because she, the way that I think of Jude, and it, it's an exhausting state to be. So at this point in the series, she is the seneschal. she's running the kingdom, she's also poisoning herself. A little bit every single night. So her body's worn down. She's not sleeping. Yeah. I love that word. Yep. She's not sleeping. She's not eating. She's constantly, like, stressed and in this high level of panic and anxiety at all times. And on top of that, you know that she has imposter syndrome because
1: it's always trying to, like, be better. Be- like, And even when she does, like, best to
0: these people, she's
1: still doubting herself the entire time.
0: Right. Which... I want to point out to everybody that's listening and Jess, you already know this, but wishes. So Jess, you and I have talked about how specific you need to be. If you ever have the opportunity to have wishes granted. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that in these books. Jude is very specific about the commands that she gives Carden. She really thinks about everything that she says. She thinks about how he could wiggle out of it. And then makes commands about those. So it's like, you can never deny me entry to see you. You can never force me from the room. You can never bar the castle from me. You can never command me to leave your side. You can't have anyone kill me. She's very clear in her commands. And I find that in other books and other movies and other media and stuff, you don't get that. You get people making really dumb mistakes by not thinking through their wishes. I don't know. I've put so much thought into what I would do if I was granted three wishes that it was just, it's really gratifying. You're very specific. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember
1: we've had this conversation. I can't remember the wishes off the top of my head, Um, but I know when you told me it was so specific and you're like, it has to be, it has to. And I can't remember what was my most recent read. Where I was telling you, I go, it's so open-ended, it left it up for interpretation. And now we're stuck here. Like, if you were just more specific, we wouldn't be where we are now.
0: You're talking about Addie LaRue? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Oh, Addie, it could have been different. Oh, boy. Poor, poor sweet Addie. So let's talk about Jude controlling Carden and all of the little instances where the build-up to the very end of The Wicked King is kind of scattered throughout the series. So when Cardin's father is murdered at the coronation, very big bloodbath, he turns into, like, thousands of moths. And before he does that, his power is, um, you know, the land. The land is the power of the, the King of Fae. So he, you know, he does stuff with the throne and the flowers and everything. They're, like, budding and opening later on. Uh, Nikasia, who we haven't really mentioned, Nikasia, princess of the sea, who the fan art for her, like all of the fan art, is stunning. Like she's gorgeous. Beautiful. Yeah. So Nikasia basically finds Cardin in the middle of an orgy and gets really jealous because she thought that he'd be by himself and shoots and tries to shoot him with a crossbow. Which I mean, fair.
1: She's a good example where her emotions always take control of the situation instead of being level-headed because even when jude is kidnapped and brought to the undersea and her mother is like asking her these you know jude has to pretend she's under she's being glamored and under this gesh, where her mom's asking her like all like basically these questions and she has to answer truthfully Nikacia's only concern is why does cardin like you did he kiss you she's like yeah "Did, did you do did you kiss more than once you're like yeah but she's so hung up on Cardin.
0: Meanwhile, she's
1: the one who left Cardin. She left Cardin for a lock.
0: That story is actually detailed in how the king king of Elfheim learned to hate stories. Oh, okay. That's one of the stories that we get in there, and that's it's really good. Yes. Yeah. Oh, an So pretty though, with blue hair and just pearls. She reminds me of um
1: I, I feel like I've casted Halle Bailey in my head for her.
0: Ooh. With, like, turquoise. Mm -hmm. Like, I could see it with, like, braids and just being really beautiful. Stunning. But also kind of a bitch. (laughs) That's Nekasia, right? Like... Yeah. But, you know, and Jude says that in the second book where she goes...
1: She has such this sense of privilege and entitlement that she's never had to answer and be held accountable for any of her actions. So when she shoots Carden with the crossbow... She really was like, I, "What do you mean? I can get caught and things can happen. Don't say anything." Fuck you! I would, if cameras existed, I'd be like, "Snapshot, Send wide,
0: blackmail the shit out of." That's a, that's a good blackmail situation.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I didn't think I'd hurt anybody. I just thought it was gonna. What? Why would you? You what? You have a crossbow in your hand. What did you think was gonna happen? What Not was just your that, intention?
0: she had to drag it up all those stairs and stuff. Like they say over and over again that it wasn't easy, that the corridors long and like steep and stuff and the crossbow is heavy. And so. she
1: knew about the hidden yeah. hallway. Ugh. I
0: don't know. I don't. Ugh. I do love the, I wish I had the visual of her just opening the door and seeing Carden in just like an orgy and just being like. "Cardin's always in orgy mode. Yeah. I mean, we, we respect
1: a king. I think of um in the first book, where Locke has Jude over and he's like, stay, like get to know my friends outside of school. Like they're totally different. They'll be drunk the whole time, blah, blah, blah. And she keeps looking at Carden and his orgy and he's looking at her while he's like, has girls all over him. And he's like, I see you watching me watching you. It's this whole
0: time. Well, specifically that scene specifically that you bring up, he has that girl fondling his foot and like his calf and earlier in the day, maybe that same day, he had ma- wanted to have Jude kiss his boot. Mm-hmm. So um It's like it's, a foot thing too. It's, yeah, it's like a yeah, it's like a thing. So he he being like really fucked up and having this girl like all up on his like feet and calves while he's like staring directly at Jude. <gasps> like imagining yeah. it could be her. Oh, yeah, because he's on drugs too. They say he's like smeared an ever apple, so he's oh. like you know
1: he's gone. That's their yeah one of it. Their- I know this quote didn't come from that scene. It's at the end of the cruel prince, but it just it just sets the precedence for Cardin the entire time where he goes. Everything is spiraling into chaos. You might as well have fun.
0: Like it's a free for all. Let's fuck it up. I love it. You know, and I also really like Cardin's kind of self-loathing about it too because he says a couple of times he's like basically he's saying like I should have died with my family but I was too drunk and I was passed out somewhere and like he's ashamed of it um so he, like yes he he is a certain way but he also recognizes that he got off scot free when he really shouldn't have I think that's also part of his I don't think it's part
1: of his upbringing I think there there's a lot of a lot of things at play with Cardin because you can you can argue that he does have these parental issues and like familial issues between his relationships with his dad and his mom and his brothers and his sister and the sisters in like him and all that stuff where he could use the fairy version of alcohol and drugs as escapism. That also being said, knowing how he was raised and the disregard that he was given, it was always said, like, he would steal buttered rolls off the tables and you would find them in corners of revels, like, passed out sleeping in a corner. So that's also a product of his environment. I, I don't know. There's, like, I feel like there's a lot to unpack with Cardin and his, his life. It could be its own psych 101 class if you were to, like, do a a deep dive into one character because
0: there's just so many things at play. Yep. So if, we're, if we circle back around to the connection between the king and the land, when Nikaja shoots Cardin, it is said that tiny little flowers bloomed out of his blood, which is important because at the end of The Wicked King, he raises a whole fucking island out of nothing. But he only does that after he and Jude are married, and Jude has no control over him. And I think that's really interesting because there's a conversation that Jude has with the roach and the ghost where she's like, you know, Cardin, is Cardin the king or is he a spy? Because if he's the king that we're going to have to, you know, swear allegiance to, we've treated him badly. But if he's a spy, then he's like one of us. But if he thinks of himself as a spy, he can't harness the power of the land. And ever since he became king and Jude was controlling him, uh, you know, the the, the, it, the line, it's the colors are more vivid. Carden gets drunk and his denizens get drunker and they don't know why. The weather is changing. You know, it's snowing, all of these crazy things. And then at the end, when everything is going on and he raises the island, it's I mean, one, it's like, super sexy. Mm-hmm. But also, it surprises Orla, it scares Nikasia, and Jude is kind of staring at him in awe. Like, he is the legitimate king of fairy. Mm-hmm. I feel
1: like that moment he he stepped into that role. Like, it's always been there, but he took ownership of it. It's kind of reminding me of... um. Dare I say Aelin? Maybe not Aelin to the extreme, but maybe like in a capacity, like taking ownership of like, oh, this is who I am now, because I like to like what you said. I love when he go, when he's taking that power and he's taking ownership and he's creating that fourth island and he goes, I am the High King of Altheim. You attacked the land, stole my essential, and I mean, stole my essential and my friend, my brother, who was imprisoned for the murder of my father. You have him as one of your consorts or, you know, like one of your people. We have always respected each other's territories and I have allowed you too much disrespect. And I was like, hot, hot. Mm -hmm. Yes, please put me in my place.
0: For real. And that's another reason why I really like Jude so much and and Cardin too, is when Cardin offers to marry Jude cuz Jude is trying to find a way to to prolong their their contract beyond mm-hmm. a year and a day you know for reasons but Cardin said let's just get married and and Jude she says like she's ashamed of how badly she wants it but then she takes it she finally takes it it's finally a character that is offered something and she takes it so many times it's like for like reasons like no i can't do that but judah's just like you know what fuck it i'm gonna be the king of or the queen of fairy and and i mean obviously she is and the whole twist at the end but it's it was just really refreshing to see and i feel like you don't see that enough just see no, everybody
1: power. but and it's not just in books you don't see it. i feel like we're play we're, we're groomed i guess you should say you're like oh no no thanks even even something as simple as do you want seconds do you want dessert and you're like oh i shouldn't no thanks no take it all like if that's what you want like why are we taught to just kind of question everything and i mean especially i i like that, Carden had to appeal to her logical sense and regards it wasn't a this huge like romantic proclamation as much as it was emotionally for him but it was a look we can do this long term we can do this however long we see fit if that however that may mean to us I like that they did it just between the two of them. Like, I really, I don't know. There's something really, for me, I really like the the intimate marriages, just like Rhys and Feyre had theirs. Um Aelin and Rowan had theirs. Like, I really like the smaller moments because I think it's more about the marriage itself than, like, the big hoopla of the wedding. And these stories, I don't know. I like them. I like that it worked. I like that... at at the end i mean of course she's just like i can't believe this is happening because she's leaned into the the emotions that she's had for him this whole time and she's still unsure of them at the same time but she knows she wants it
0: i think it's also really really special that in this i mean in other kind of versions of fairy fae stories fairies can't lie so you have to be, like Jude, we were saying earlier about Jude being very clear about her commands. You have to be very specific because fairies might not be able to lie but they can twist things into their advantage. And that's another reason why Jude and Taryn are so mm, mm, sus, uh, people are suspicious of them because they can lie and because they can lie the, and the folk can't uh, they don't really trust anything that they say, and also they are unused to being lied to. So when Carden and oh, Jude, because they
1: can't, they can't lie, they can't tell lies. So amongst each other, okay,
0: right. So there's a really good example of this when Oriana Maddox, and Jude are talking, and Jude says a, a lie. Jude says, "Oh, I wanted to try the ever apple." It was something that I was curious about, so I ate it. Nobody forced it on me. And Oriana goes, I can't believe you would do something like that. You know better. And Maddox looking at her like, don't be so fucking gullible. Obviously, Jude would never do that. And Oriana is shocked. She's shocked. She's like, oh, that was a lie. It's just one of these little details in in this world that is so important (sighs) and impacts everything else. Well, and, and I think of the other example, and I, I know like they can't lie, but they know how to deceive.
1: Mm-hmm. And that they say like that a deceit is different than a lie. And it reminds me of when it, when Jude goes to back to the mainland, back to human world, and she's going to see Vivi and Oak and Heather's. They're going to go get Heather to bring her to Taryn's wedding. And Jude's talking to Vivi and she goes... Does she, does Heather know, like, what does Heather think is going on? And she goes, Well, Heather thinks that, like, a fairy is going to take us. And she goes, I can't lie, but it's not a lie. She's just technically they are a fairy and a fairy is going to take her, just not the one that she thought. So it was that it's not a lie, but it's definitely a little bit deceitful because that was not was in
0: impressions on heather heather and vivi you want to talk about toxic that relationship really i mean it drives home the fact that vivi is they, and she has and, and jude says it like a jude and taryn never told vivi how bad it got for them as humans growing up so vivi doesn't understand all of the things that can happen to heather and because of that Vivi doesn't tell Heather you know about the salt and the rowan berries and all, all these things that can happen and of course we know Heather gets turned into a cat and Vivi glamors her and it's just it's so irresponsible and Jude is so angry at Vivi rightfully so yeah rightfully so and then of course Vivi dumps or no Heather dumps Vivi and it's totally reasonable I mean my God it was Absolutely horrifying.
1: Also, I kind of get annoyed. I mean, I do. I don't know how I feel about Vivi. But I think it's it tells something about her character where her whole life, she's like, I fucking hate it. I just want to be human. Blah, blah, blah. She wants to go back to the human world. She doesn't want to associate with being fey even when she was in the Fey world. But the second it was convenient for her to act fey or use her fey powers then then she was okay with it and she's like
0: oh well it was only one time like it also speaks to her privilege too because she she wants to live in the human world but she doesn't want to live as a human she doesn't want to get a job whenever she tries to convince Taryn and Jude to come back to live in the human world it's you know we can use leaves as money and we can live however we want we can do whatever we want it annoys me. It annoys me because she has everything, right? She has the magic. She's immortal. She can do all the things, but she's just rebelling against Matic because.
1: Ugh. It's reminding me of, um, Caven's recent TikTok where she's like pretending she's a, she just turned Faye and more like, hey, how are you liking Prithian? And she goes, and you got these two girls over here bitching and complaining. Like, Right? Like, shut up. This is you. Stop. Like you said, it's to her privilege that she doesn't even recognize th- this thing that she has. And part of and a lot of it, I don't want to say a lot of it. Jude and Taryn didn't show her what it means to be human in a fey world. At the same time, despite the traumas that they went through, it's what they know and what they're familiar with. And they don't want to go back to being an immortal Area,
0: Right. Well, and Vivi is, they say it again, or I, they, I say they this whole time, but like Holly um, drives home the fact that Vivi's the older sister and that Jude always feels kind of disregarded when she goes to Vivi with things because um, Vivi kind of dismisses them over and over again.
1: And that's and that's totally plausible because that does happen in not just sibling dynamics, but familial dynamics. If think If you try to approach adults, and I say adults in our lives, the people who are older in our lives, because even if we're adults now, they will – and I've had this conversation with my family and now it's just like beating a dead horse so I don't have it anymore. They'll never not see me as this certain version of myself, even if there's growth. Because they are only going to see you one way, and I feel like that's the thing that's going on with Jude is Jude will always be the little sister compared to Vivi. and it's not like there's there's not this huge age difference because they were young when Maddox took them from the like they were they were six and three maybe maybe even younger I don't no they I know were that they...
0: they were seven and like ten okay because it, it's it's been like ten years and Jude is like seventeen okay.
1: Yeah, because they were, I knew they were talking, so I yeah. don't know why in my head I thought they were toddlers. Um, but they, but at ten years old, you're remembering a lot of stuff. So she's still, everything's very visual to her of what that day was like. Whereas the longer, you know, if you're younger, you might not have as vivid as those memories, or you still do, but they might just impact
0: you differently. So if we're talking about Vivi and we're talking about her dismissing Taryn, or I'm sorry, dismissing Jude, although she also dismisses Taryn.
1: Not so much. I feel like because of Taryn's, Oriana has taken Taryn under her wing to just be like this, this, to be more socially acceptable in Fae society kind of thing because she's a daughter of Matic. Um, Taryn is more accepted all around. Like her focus is to, I want to finish school and marry a Fae and be in this world forever and just, you know, that's what she wants. So Oriana relates to that. So she gravitates towards Taryn, which is also said. I was thinking about in the, the first book before the coup, and Maddock is gifting things, and he gifts Jude a uh, Nightfell. and it's the sword from her, her human dad, and I, she was just like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful, blah blah blah. Like Jude is like gassed up for this sword, and then she finds out like Jude, what'd you get? And I was like tiara like that was it <laughs> i just i think that was just also very telling of their personalities and their their aspirations of what they wanted to you know jude has always wanted she was like yeah she's like my biggest thing is she's like i would love to be Faye, but secondary she's like i want power like well, however that means and that was she thought it was just like being a knight and in, in dane's court and now she realized she was like not only am i a knight i'm a fucking essential. and now i'm a queen
0: well and it, with the really kind of poetic thing about this is that Jude, we know, has this, like, imposter syndrome. She's running herself ragged, running the the country and everything. And then she's gone, and Cardin has to do it on his own. And then they get married, and she's the queen of fairy. But the kicker is that nobody knows that she's the queen of fairy.
1: Well, I like, prior to that, when she still has the command over Carden, Maddox... picks up on, he goes, does our high king have any idea how good you are at running the kingdom for him? And I love, I love that recognition because he, he's like, I keep doubting you. And you keep like, this is not how it was. He's like the, you know, the whole teacher student thing. He's like the, the student becomes the teacher. But like you said, nobody believes her at the end. She goes, but I'm the queen. And everybody's just laughing at her. She's humiliated. She's vulnerable. She's without saying she loves him she loves Carden and she's like well denounce me in front of everybody and he can't because he can't lie lie and nobody's picking up on
0: that no and then uh, and then she has to go back of course to the human world and and live with Vivi but uh, if we're talking about Vivi as a big sister and just the sister dynamics too if we go back just a little bit earlier when Jude has the plan to double cross Cardin and crown him as king (laughs) there's a lot there. Um, she goes to Vivi. She doesn't go to Taryn. She goes to Vivi. And and as like the little sister saying, like, please help me. And then Vivi does. And then Jude has that epic fight with Matic. And that is when Matic really sees that Jude is a worthy opponent, I think. Um, and that That goes back to Jude having her own carved figure on the war board in Maddox's office. He's like, you know, only my only the players get that. And Jude has become a player. And I just think that's really interesting
1: that he sees her as somebody who is an opponent. Yeah, Yeah,
0: exactly. And then we so we get that validation from Maddox. And then, um, you know, he also sees that she has control over Carden, that she's running the kingdom. And then she declares herself as the fairy queen and and nobody recognizes her. But then, of course, we get Carden trying his best to prove to his woman that he that he can do it, that he can be king, that he's smart, that he, you know, he's got this plan. And then Ju just doesn't see it because she's so hurt and blindsided by Carden's you know, proclamation of she is banished. Which he needed to keep that. He
1: couldn't tell her that because it needed to be authentic in her reaction.
0: Right. And then, of course, in his mind, all Jude ever does is tell him that, like, I was raised in fairy. I understand the rules. Like, I can make riddles. I'm good at that. I can do this. I'm good at that. You know, I had to learn the rules of fairy so I know them better than you. And then he gives this, it's basically a riddle. And she's just like, flabbergasted at everything that's happening. And, of course, she's hurt and humiliated, too. But, you know, for him, he's looking at her like, eh? Eh? Yeah. She
1: says, she's like, and he has this odd smile on his face. And it's only to me. And he's only looking at me smiling. And she's just so upset. and Especially because the wording. He's like, it must be pardoned by the crown. Not realizing that she's is the crown because she's married and she's queen and she hasn't connected the two. Far, and partly it, there is that imposter syndrome. Like, yeah, yeah, it might be fresh. Yeah, she's hurt and humiliated, but she hasn't connected the dots because of, like... Everything is wrapped up. She just spent like she didn't. She didn't even consummate the marriage. They were just like sweetly kissing the whole night, and then they they were like, "We need to talk to you." Balkan is dead, and he's like, oh, "Another secret, huh?" And she's like, "I was gonna, I was gonna tell you about that,
0: but we we're having so much fun getting married." It's just really. I mean, we talk about communication a lot in these books, but in this instance, like he needed to have that kind of. Real reaction out of her, so that like Oriana would buy everything, so that she would be safe and all this stuff. But the thing that I really love about it is, I mean, we learn this later on, but like Cardin was expecting her to come right back, and she doesn't, and he's like, "Fuck." Oh, the letters. Uh, Oh, we will we will cover we'll cover all the letters in Queen of Nothing later on, but oh man.
1: But you know what? I also I kind of we're so. At least up until this point, when I was reading the book the first time around, the only thing I knew of regarding like fantasy and supernatural is like Vampire Diaries. The vampires are hundreds of years old, you know. And then we get the Avatar series, and the Fae are hundreds of years old. This and then this series is just like he's nineteen, twenty-eight maybe. She's seventeen, turning eighteen. It is very. You know, we like you said we talk about communication, but I also feel like this is very much what communication is like when you're in high school and your actions, everything's just kind of all over the place, and you're reacting instead of being proactive, and just everything is just jumbled up and emotions and hormones and. I don't know, power like that. That was a big thing. I remember I was like, I can't believe she's tripping all on power like Reese did this thing, too. And you you checked me and you said you need to realize that Reese has honed his powers and his authority for hundreds of years. This is a 17 year old girl who was bullied her whole life in an area that nobody accepted her so yeah she might fuck up when she has a little bit of power it's going to be addicting at 17 over the having power over the people who tortured you And i was like you you're right my bad but again i was coming off of my akatar high but i but i appreciated that insight to say you know what yes but no perspective perspective
0: and it, it was very much needed. Comparing like Akatar, I guess specifically Akatar, to this series, Akatar just seems so dusty and like for old people. And that that I mean, obviously that's just my opinion. But the Folk of the Air is vivid and young and fresh and like much more visceral and and violent and kind of scary in a way that Akatar isn't. It's like Akatar's adults doing adult things, where this is. I'm not going to say kids, but like, this is just more, more real. You know, I've said it before. It's just, it's just more real.
1: Well, I know in the beginning, Jude says, I can see why humans succumb to the beautiful nightmare of the court, referring to Elfheim. And I don't know if that's like where you're trying to draw the comparisons where this is just like a younger, fresher take. And there's beauty in Elfheim. And I think... I think we're so used to like how you have like beyond the wall, not necessarily in Valeris, where everything's very daunting and dystopian and dreary until we get to Valeris and Spring Court, but you I don't feel that dreariness that's kind of looming in Elfame that you typically see in other in other stuff.
0: Yeah, I don't yeah. The the only kind of comparison that I can make where it would be similar is I would think that the Court of Nightmares is more similar to um, the world of Elfheim than in huh. any other way. But also in this world, the Folk of the Air, there are like monsters. And I know there's monsters in like Akatar and you know there's some monsters in Throne of Glass, but they just don't jump off the page for me the way that they do in the Folk of the Air. And, and that just might be Holly and the way that she focuses on little things like how Maddox's teeth, Like his jaw is a little bit longer than the top of his mouth, so his fangs like poke up a little bit. Just like little details like that really stand out to me, where in Akatar everyone's like stunningly gorgeous, but like in a very human way. Right. I never thought of them as like I know we say hi Faye, but
1: visually I don't think of Faye or fantasy every time they're interacting with somebody. It's just very human forms with you know, maybe some ear elongation.
0: Yeah. And like in in Throne of Glass, like elongated canines, but in The Folk of the Air, it's different. Yeah. Even
1: in Throne of Glass, I don't visualize super long canines. I think mean, that's probably some of, the, because based on like some of the fan art that I've been exposed to that I haven't, you know, but they're fey by blood. I don't need them to be fey by appearance. I don't know. Maybe that's me. I'm like, now I can
0: visualize myself. I can do that. What is it? The maladaptive daydreaming. <laughs> Yeah, it would be easier, yeah. And also I know people really shit on Sarah for her lack of diversity and mm-hmm. I know there isn't, I mean, specifically a lot of diversity in Folk of the Air, but I feel like it's a little bit better. I mean, fairies are not concerned with gender at all. Um I think one of the one of the lines that Jude is saying to herself when she's talking like thinking about Matic and Vivian Heather being like Vivi bringing home you know a female is the one thing that he wouldn't care about right he'd be more concerned that heather's human yeah he doesn't even care he doesn't care about gender like it's kind of very open and no one really cares but uh, i don't know and then you have you know and they have like tree people and like and the nixies and you have you have all these Different things that just don't really exist in, in a lot of detail in aquitar. I think you have um the water wraiths and yeah, that's the only
1: person like that's the only species that I could think of. It's like you have Faye and you have wa- water wraiths, and then oh, and then you have the people who. Alice was serving in the spring court and then she had cousins in the summer court but I don't think that they were specified as to like what they were they were just tree like
0: I don't know it's just one of those things I've said it I've said it again I prefer the world of the folk of the air to any other fantasy world that I have read um, that's just my opinion don't come for me
1: no one's coming for you <laughs> I think it's you know what I think it's refreshing to have this conversation because I haven't seen a lot of content out there for like Around the folk of the air. I don't know if it just hasn't come up on my FYP yet because I'm just deep in SJM. <laughs> but I but I like it. I think to what you said, like there's there's a lot that can come from this. And it's not necessarily this huge love story, but there's a lot of power play that I love.
0: Yeah, there there is. There's a fair amount of stuff on TikTok about folk of the air. Uh it's more like Aesthetic vibes of like Elfheim, and like, of course, there's a lot of the fan art. We know Jude and her knife kink with Cardin tied up in the chair. In the, you know, his tail's always wrapped around her leg. There's all, there's a lot of that fan art out there.
1: I could not get, past, I don't know, it just made me giggle so much the first read, and now I kind of like the second read. I was. And and when I go, I know when I go to reread the Queen of Nothing, there's a cute sort of possessiveness to it, like ownership, like you're mine. I don't know. I think it's kind of cute now. It I took also like while. it.
0: It took like forever. It swishes when he's nervous. Uh, so you know, Cardin says like he can't control his tail. It's just one of those things. So like when he's nervous, it swishes back and forth, and that's how you know.
1: Well, it's like with animals too. Like if you see like if a dog's happy, their tail tail wags, or if a cat's being cautious, like they're they're on alert, but they're not like or if they're they're calm and comfortable, that's just kind of casually swishing. Like it's not moment, but it's it's connected to. Uh, uh, they there like where they are emotionally the and the pets are emotionally
0: and speaking of the tail it's just one of these things that i just thought about right now is when uh Carden is tied to the chair in um dane's office and jude's there and she's got the crossbow on him and everything and and he's like you know ask me anything ask me anything i'll tell you i'll tell you and uh she asks him like you know like why do you hate me so much and she's like uh do you want to see my tail <laughs> Because <laughs> he doesn't want to answer, he's like, "You want to see my he tail?" De-
1: because he, because he's what he he doesn't hate her.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Oh," and and Jude's like, "And she's already seen his tail." Yeah, she's like because oh, he, he doesn't know. <laughs> he
1: doesn't know that she saw him get beat. Yeah, but she knew. Like, she forgets oh. about his tail, I guess, because he. Oh, and that's brought up in the, be- the the beginning of this one too, is because I guess he was very, or maybe it's in the Queen of Nothing, but he, how he talks about. I guess he had hid his tail based on mm-hmm. like how he dressed, and by the time he's king and taking ownership of it, she, he's just like,
0: "This is me." Tails he out. It out, tails out. I just, he's, I, I, I don't know. I like it. I think it's really sweet. I also think about how uncomfortable it must have been to have it like tucked in all the time. You know, like I would think it would have
1: to be like if he was wearing pants, it would be down
0: and like. Like around his leg or something. Behind yeah. One of his leg. Yeah. Very uncomfortable. It just, it makes me grateful every day that I don't have to worry about like balls. <laughs> it, it's kind of, you know, people like sit on them and stuff. Like it'd be just so uncomfortable. So like good on them. I'm-
1: Not just balls, but like having a penis, like just a, a, an appendage. Do you switch it up? You're like on board on this side. Is it like when people were used to decide if they want a side
0: part or a middle part you're just like uh, what which looks better today? do you know what i think about you know what i spend a little bit too much time thinking about is <laughs> tell me is now that cardin is king and his tail is out you know he's free tailing it does he have like a little hole in the back <laughs> oh, of it
1: yes, I, I know where you're going yes but you know, like how the Illyrians have the slits in there and their shirts for the wings i it has to be like you just like pop it out
0: yeah, it has to be. So that means he had to get like all new pants, like tailored, had them <laughs> altered. Yeah, like I, that. I just think that's adorable. <laughs> like he had to go to a tailor and be like, "Um, I need a tail hole." <laughs> Only because,
1: sweet. like, probably, like, I can't remember if the tail is out. Is the tail out now, or is it when she comes back in? Queen of Nothing tail's out now. She's... Okay, the tail's out now. Okay. Cause then he would. I li- I I like the tail. It's sweet. I like the tail. It's sweet. I I mean, yeah. I, it's sweet because, like, again, we've un- it's been a, it's been a few months. I've come to terms with the tail. It's sweeter every time. Like they hook up, and it's just like another thing to be like, "You're mine." Here's both my hands, my mouth, and my tail, and my tail. <laughs>
0: So I have made all my points except for one and then we could wrap this up. I really love this throwaway moment that exists between Jude and Cardin when Jude has to go to the to the camps of all of the um you know like leaders of everybody to try to convince them to back Cardin even though it, she doesn't say it's Cardin Cardin doesn't know it's him, you know, to back the next king of Elfham, and they're laying down in the grass and they're just talking, and he's telling her about all the different camps, like Roybin and everybody. And he takes his finger and he traces the like inside like round part of her ear. oh, it's just a very simple. It's like one sentence, and Judah's just like, "Why is he doing that?" And he's like looking at her and and just doing that, and then it's done. And it's never brought up again. but I just I think it's really sweet. I think it's because I remember that part because I remember thinking,
1: oh, because her ears aren't like Mm -hmm. she's human ears. And I think it was just like such a nice little subtle, again, subtle thing that Holly has incorporated with these books that there's just enough sprinkling to remind us that she is not human, you know, and it doesn't have to be this big in your face thing. But it's a pre like but there's an appreciation from Cardin where I usually with whenever it's there there's a discussion regarding being human. It's always like this negative thing in Elfheim, and this is this thing
0: that he gets to kind of treasure for a moment. My Etsy recommendations are a lot of elf ear jewelry to give <laughs> to, to, to like the wire jewelry to give myself like elf ears because um, I was looking because uh, Oriana was wearing them, and Jude says like you know if I wore those then my ears wouldn't be so obviously round. And I was just like, hmm, are those a thing? So I typed it in an Etsy and, oh my God, are they a thing?
1: Well, I, the second reread, I had to look up. I was looking up. I was like, is this ear-, ear shaping thing a thing? Because it's brought up that I guess Heather would talk about Vivi's ears. And she's like, oh, like... The surgeon who did it did a really great job. And Jude's thinking, like, if you look at Vivi's ears, there's nothing. Like, those are natural. There is nothing cosmetic about them. And I looked it up. And it's it's a thing. People do the ear shaping. I, I just wasn't aware. I mean, I knew, like, there's, like, Etsy shops. And then you could go on Amazon or however you want to, like, SFX stuff especially like a lot of the cosplayers are great at finding some really good ones especially like when they match like their flesh tone but i didn't realize people really took Faye and fantasy to um the next level i guess you could say
0: yeah oh bless them i have also seen pictures of holly black and her ears do appear to have had that procedure
1: oh really interesting
0: yes i i don't know if that's a hundred percent true so if you do know that please uh comment and let us know i don't
1: know what the procedure is called i really just like googled saying like ear shaping and then i went to images and it's a lot of the healing process and i was not expecting the healing process photos i'm never prepared for a healing process photo so whatever cosmetic surgery i get done just show me like the six months after don't show me the immediate after
0: i don't want to know what i went through not at all. Uh, my points are made. Jess, how are you?
1: My points are made. I'm just there's just a lot of quotes, and they're just like romancy quotes that I'll post on Instagram. I do not need to be in the podcast. <laughs> We've
0: already said enough. Well, what's what's one that we haven't said that you really like? Um, I really the the one that I think I really like.
1: Oh, there's two. I'll say the two. The lovey ones I'll leave for Instagram. But when Jude says to Locke, if you hurt me, I wouldn't cry, but I'd hurt you back. I fucking love the vengeance. I don't know. That shows you where I'm at in my level of petty. I'm also the type of person who would cry as I'm hurting you back. So, I mean, there's no secret that I'm full of emotions here on this podcast. And then I like Matic saying "There's no, fo- there's no point in fighting if you have no intention to win. So those are two of my really strong quotes that, again, I think people are like, uh, Jessica, are you okay? Well, I don't know.
0: Am I? Those are my two quotes that I really like. You tell you dissect that. You maybe just think of one, and then we can end. But I really like when Jude is dancing with Locke, and then Cardin comes up, and he goes, "Uh, time to switch partners." And then Locke goes, "Uh," and then Cardin goes, "What did I steal your line?" Because it's just about to be revealed that Locke is going to marry Taryn. And I really like how Cardin is just like, fuck you, dude. Like, and he knows it the whole time, again, like it's another, like he
1: knew the whole time and he's, he can't say anything because see, that's also not his relationship with Jude at this point in the book. When this is happening, it's just like this. Hate love, hate. And I mean, it's clearly an enemies to lovers dynamic. But it's still like another thing where he kind of like takes her away from Locke for that moment. Because it's her her dancing with him that she finally sees Taryn and Locke out of the corner of her eye. And that's when she pieced everything together.
0: It's good. It's a really good book. I love it. I hope everybody enjoyed us talking about it today.
1: So follow us on Acafe Podcast, on Instagram, A-C-O-F-A-E. We're... We're having fun doing these. I don't know. Are you guys having fun? To let us know. We're always on Instagram. I, I don't think I'm shadow banned from TikTok anymore, so I'll be posting on there. Our next episode actually is the Kingdom of Ash after this week, and I don't, I, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I haven't read it. I just know that that's slated for the next Monday listen after this
0: the ending of throne of glass it is a lot of things and we are all very excited to see what just no, no we're not no we're not
1: thanks for joining us this week um, have fun and we'll talk to you soon bye bye